Good morning, everyone. Um, most of what, well, everything we've talked about yet this morning has been very exciting and things that are happening here and things for the future, but um, so I was talking with Barry and Marin earlier this morning. Some events yesterday in Buffalo are just beyond imagination. And we think we need to just stop for a minute and pray about that before we get into this message. So would you pray with me? Father, um, my heart is uh, torn, it's broken by the news from Buffalo. Uh, we somehow get numb to these kinds of events, but we wonder why and things are confusing. But in this case, Lord, it's very clear what this was about and I cannot imagine this kind of hatred. We, Lord, um, want to lift up uh, the families of those who've lost loved ones. We want to lift up the African-American church community in Buffalo, even the whole community, but particularly this morning as they gather to worship you, but also to try to uh, deal with something so unimaginable. Lord, I also pray uh, for us as a community that we will be a force against that kind of hatred, that we will seek to work in ways that ends that broken place. Lord, um, I pray a great deal out of uh, not even knowing what to say to you in this, but we know this breaks your heart, it breaks our hearts, and we ask that you work in some way to change this world for, your, for the desires and for the, what you wanted for your world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. This is our third week in the Five Week Breathe series. And throughout these five weeks, uh, we've been focusing on this truth. I'm gonna put it up. It's, it's God's desire that we live refreshing and freeing lives. Lives that are first and foremost characterized by trusting God and filled with meaningful work that leads to wholeness and peace. Now, there it is. Before I say another word, I want you to know that we knew full well that us talking about a refreshing and freeing life that is characterized by trusting God and filled with meaningful work that leads to wholeness and peace, we know that that sounds very pie in the sky. It just does. And to be honest, we knew that even as we were initially considering this Breathe series, that what I just described it is so antithetical to the achievement-oriented culture that we live in that we thought it might even be difficult for us to say anything that had a practical, real-world real ring to it. We're just being honest about that. Um, that's why when we started the series, Dave started out by talking about the reality of our overworked, burnout, and anxious culture. Dave zeroed in on how much of what we experience in life today is exactly the opposite of what God intended for us when he made us. And we also knew that when we talk about the concept of Sabbath, anyway, the first thing that usually comes to most people's mind when we say the word Sabbath is that it's just simply some time taken to rest from work and we knew that we'd need to clear up that misconception. We'd need to open up our understanding of all that God means when he uses the term Sabbath. 
And that's why Barry talked about the fact that God actually created us to work, but that the work that we were created to do was supposed to bring us wholeness and peace. Now, we were well aware that even talking about Sabbath and talking about rest and talking about work and trusting God would be a difficult discussion in the unending frenzy of our cultural realities. We knew this. So if you haven't heard Dave's first sermon or Barry's sermon last week, I suggest that you listen to them because what they said is foundational to all that we will say in the rest of our series, which at its core, I'm just gonna be honest, at its core, this series is really about how Sabbath and all that it means can create in us a deeper trust in God. Make us people who trust in God. And today we're going to look at the very first moment in the Bible where the concept of our lives being characterized by trust that comes from Sabbath is found. And you find that in Exodus 16 and everybody needs to get a copy of that, get a Bible or on your phone or something. The house Bible, it's on page 60. It's Exodus 16, and we're gonna be looking at the story of God sending the Jewish people manna. It doesn't seem like it would be a story that tells us about Sabbath, but it does. And while you're looking that up, again, it's Exodus 16. I wanna say hey to everybody that's watching online. Um, I know you're out there. Um, My wife and I were in England for the last three or so weeks and there was a gal that worked at the hotel who was having trouble finding community. She's from South Africa, having trouble finding community. And I talked to her about what we do and then towards the end of our time there, she says, I know who you are, that's what she said. I know who you are because we're online. So Courtney, if you're out there, In England, we are glad you're with us this evening. You're having dinner while we do this. (laughs) But we are thankful for the opportunity to speak international, guys, so we're glad you're with us. Now, before we get into this passage, I have some background information I want to share with you about it, some information that I think that it's really related to all that we're going to say about Exodus 16. And it's this. Throughout the timeline of the ancient world, and by this I mean everything from the rule of the Babylonians all the way through the, the Roman Empire, the end of the Roman Empire, and that's a period of over 2,000 years. It runs from 1895 BC to 476 AD, and in that whole great big space of time, the most difficult group of people for anybody to rule over was always the Jewish nation. History has left us plenty of information about the problems that Jewish people caused for literally every nation that has tried to rule over them. In fact, the Jews were such a difficulty for the Romans that if you were appointed to any administrative position in the Roman ruling world in Judea, it was considered a punishment. And there are lots of reasons for this. First off, the Jewish people lived by a very specific, stringent dietary code that was in contrast to almost every other culture in the world. 
They didn't eat pork, they didn't eat shellfish, there was all kinds of stuff that they wouldn't eat. And this made people, they just didn't understand these Jewish people. Secondly, the Jewish people had strict rules about who they could associate with. And in general, the Jewish people would not associate with anybody who wasn't Jewish. And that was difficult. And then thirdly, the Jewish people didn't believe that any other religion had any merit. They didn't know other religion had relevance or value, and this seemed extremely condescending to all the other people in the world. But one of the biggest givens of the Jewish people that completely irked everybody, believe it or not, it was the Jewish demand that there was such a thing as a seven-day week. Most cultures organized their lives around the seasons and the stages of the moons. No other culture in the world had a seven-day week. And to be honest, there is absolutely nothing logical or intuitive about a seven-day week. But the Jews demanded that their lives would be based around a seven-day week and beyond that. And this really infuriated everybody else. The Jewish people also demanded that every seventh day was a day when they wouldn't work at all. Now, I can't emphasize enough about how much having a seventh day where you didn't do anything, and I'm not just talking about the Jewish people, but slaves and animals as well, how ridiculous that seemed to the rest of the ancient world. Now, I know that it's impossible for us not to think this way. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You can do this with me, can't you? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We just think like that. And we also assume that someplace in that seven-day week, everyone should have some time away from their regular work. But the truth is, there's absolutely nothing about that system that makes any logical sense at all. Except, that is, to those of us who know about the creation story in Genesis. Most people have some notion that the first chapters of the Bible describe God's creation of the world in terms of God working for six days and then having a day of rest. And it's easy to assume that the seven-day week with one day of rest each week was a part of people's lives from the very beginning, but the truth is that the creation story wasn't even recorded until after the Jewish people had left slavery. The creation story with its seven-day week may have been talked about around the campfires of the Jews, maybe, and they may have had some general knowledge about this, but we can't be certain about that. We can be certain, though, that the Jewish people didn't live by a seven-day week when they were slaves in Egypt, and they certainly didn't get one day a week off. The Egyptians would have found that utterly ridiculous giving our slaves and their animals a day off? That would be absurd. In fact, once the story of creation ends in Genesis 2, verse 3, from that point onward, 
all the way through the Genesis stories about Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and then on into the book of Exodus where we get all the 10 plagues in Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, we never hear one word about a seven-day week or the need for Sabbath, nothing. That is, until we get to chapter 16 in Exodus, and here's where we find the very first notion of an idea of Sabbath day rest being important for us and being a part of Jewish life. And as I said, it's not in a story that you would think is going to lead us to talking about Sabbath, at least not in the way that Dave and Barry talked about it in the last two weeks. And one last important fact before we get into this chapter, everything we're going to look at happened before God gave the law to Moses. The Jewish people had never heard anything about remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. That was not going to happen for at least another month. And so with all of this in mind, Let's look at Exodus 16, verse 1. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. Now, can I just stop and say, the wilderness of Sin does not mean like the desert of bad stuff, okay? They called it Sin, but they, the Sin was not the word they used for Sin. Does that make sense? So this is his name. It doesn't have anything to do with sin, all right, like we think of. I just want you to know that. They, they like, didn't move into, like, the worst place in the world, you know, the wilderness of sin. Okay, and the wilderness of sin was between Elam and Mount Sinai. And they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Now, I don't know that I can emphasize enough how crazy it was. And the text clearly, clearly says this. It, it uses the phrase, the whole Jewish community, or literally everyone, as in every person, was complaining that God, through Moses, he'd brought on all those plagues in Egypt, and he'd parted the Red Sea, and he'd destroyed the whole Egyptian army. He'd done all that amazing stuff for one thing, so he could get them all out there in the wilderness and starve them to death. Now, I'm just saying, okay? I'm just saying, that's pretty silly. Well, God talked to Moses about this complaining. Now, he didn't, he didn't address the insolence, by the way. He could have, but he didn't. But he clearly had heard their complaining about missing meat and bread. He simply says this to Moses, look what he says. He says, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day, and I will test them in this way to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. 
All right, now this is where we get the first hint about a seven-day week and a Sabbath day. And what happens in the next four verses is that Moses tells Aaron, you need to make an announcement to the Jewish people. And here's the announcement that Aaron makes to the Jewish people. He says, God, the one who brought you out of slavery in Egypt has heard your complaints. And he's taken it personally, by the way. And now he's going to give you meat this evening and he's gonna give you bread in the morning. And then Aaron added a editorial comment on the end. He said, so get yourselves ready for this one, people. Get yourselves ready. And then God acts in, in verse 13. It says, that evening vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. By the way, we don't hear anything more in this chapter in Exodus about the quail, but we do know from Deuteronomy that the amount of quail was, it was a ton of quail. Uh, It was so much quail that the people got sick of quail. So God rained down tons of quail. And it goes on to say, and the next morning the area around the camp was wet with dew. And when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. And the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. I'm sure that many of you know that the Hebrew word for what is it is manahu. And from that we get the word manna, manna. And we could talk for a long time about manna. We could talk about what it literally was. And we could talk about how it became a huge metaphor in the life of the Jewish nation. And we could even talk about how Jesus speaks of himself in the terms of bread from heaven, which is an implication that he's talking about himself in the same way of manna. I mean, we could talk about all that, but for our purposes today related to Sabbath, let's look at what happens next in the story. In verse 16, Moses continues on with his instructions to the Jewish people about manna, and he says this, these are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough, and each family had just what it needed. Okay, can I just say that waking up every morning and having manna on the ground for us to gather to eat is a pretty amazing miracle. When you when you say that's pretty amazing, but everyone having just enough that it all measures out, no matter what anybody picks up, is going to make it so that everybody has just enough. Now that makes the miracle even more amazing. And verse nineteen says, "Then Moses told them, 'Do not keep any of it until morning.' But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning, and by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell." Okay, now we're getting into the issue of whether people trust that God knows what he's talking about here, okay? And it makes sense that next we read this, that Moses was very angry with them. After this, the people gathered food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes that they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, 
four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. Now, what this business of the community leaders coming to Moses and asking, asking for an explanation tells me is that they had no idea about Sabbath up until this point. They needed this to be explained to them. What, one day where we don't do something and what is this about? And then he says this, Moses says, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake and boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. And Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. You know, I think, I think it's interesting that the actual Hebrew here in verse 23 says this. It says, tomorrow a rest, a rest holy to the Lord. It's Mehar Shabbaton Shabbatakobesh Yahovah. And did you notice that that concept of rest, Shabbat, is in there twice, two times, right next to each other. And one important thing that we need to always remember when we're studying our Bible is this, that any time you get two things that are the same, that are right next to each other, it means listen up, this is important. And what this doubling of the word Shabbat or rest tells me is that the setting aside of the seventh day was really important. But of course, the people trusting that God knew what he was talking about, was a, it's always been a problem and it was still a problem here. Look at what it says in verse 27. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out and pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day, and the Israelites called the food manna. It was, like white, it was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. Can I just stop for one second and it says that it tasted like honey wafers? This is a world with no sugar yet and been found. It was also a world where there was no beekeeping. So any honey that you found was from the real hive of wild bees. The only sweetener they had in this world came from insect excretions. I'm not, I don't even know how to explain that to you. But to have honey was generally reserved for royalty. Think about that when the food that they got to eat 
tasted like honey. Okay? And we could say a lot about this passage, but what really speaks to me was God saying that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. I've been thinking a lot about this, about what it is that would have made the Sabbath a gift to these Jewish people. I have thought about a few things. Uh, this is all my thinking, okay? But the first, first is this. Having one day every seventh day that is set aside away from work would give order to your life, to their lives. For six days, they were to do the work that made their lives, that made life possible. Work that was meaningful and it was sustaining. And for those specific Jews living in the wilderness, that meant rising up each morning and collecting what their family needed so they would have food. And this was work that gave new purpose to their rising up every morning and it allowed them to participate in God's care for them. Plus, this was an order that included what? Stopping and resting. And even more than that, this was a day of rest that happened often enough to become a part of the regular routine of life. This rest day wasn't something that occasionally happened. No, it was the gift of a regular, purposeful week, if you will. Six days of work, then rest. And it's all built into life, and it gives you order. And I just have to say, order in our lives is a gift. Order in our lives is a gift. And secondly, the Sabbath was a gift because it was something that only free people could choose to do. The Jews had been slaves for 400 years. Their lives had been controlled by their, their Egyptian slave masters, and yet God, through freeing them from slavery, had given them the ability to just choose to take a day off, something they could never do. And the Sabbath spoke of the freedom, the freedom that they'd been given by God. And that was a gift as well. And thirdly, the Sabbath gave the Jewish people time to think about the many ways that God was showing his love to them. The gift was the space to think about things other than the details of the daily grind. Things like the fact that God did free them and things like the fact that God was feeding them every day. They had a schedule-free day. Think about that. A schedule-free day. That's a gift a day to think about important things. And fourthly, the Sabbath was a gift because when it opened up that time on that schedule-free day, it gave them time to think about all that God was doing. Six mornings a week, they could see God's love right there on the ground for them. And the Sabbath gave an opportunity to think about it, and when you thoughtfully think about all that God is doing for you, it can't help but lead to what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to give back to God. And finally, the Sabbath was a gift because it gave the Jewish people the opportunity to reorient their lives around trusting God. Each Friday morning, they saw the sixth day's double portion. And let's not forget that the sixth day double portion went on for 40 years. The Sabbath was a gift because as they ate their double portion on the Sabbath day, they could see 
that God was still with them, he was present, he was looking out for them, and he loved them, and most of all, they could trust him that he would keep doing this into the future. I think that's all a really wonderful gift. And I can't help but think that these are gifts that we still are being given through, through Sabbath as well now, even. I mean, first, building Sabbath into my life would bring order, I can tell you that. I know from experience that meaningful work with regular expected rest is really different than any kind of work and having no th- hope for rest. I just know that. And I'll be honest, there have been very few seasons in my life when I, that included a regular expectation of rest that I followed through on. But what a gift it would be. I know that Sabbath in some regular scheduled expected pattern would bring a new order to my life. It just would. It's something that I hate to admit, but it's true. It's the only reason I haven't generally had ongoing expectations of regular Sabbath is because I have allowed other priorities to overtake the freedom that I've been given to choose to include Sabbath in my life. And here's what I've been thinking. Sabbath is a gift that I can only receive from God when I choose to make it a priority. God has given me the freedom to choose what I do with the time that he's given to me. I get to choose it. It's a gift. But I should never take that gift lightly. And I also know that rest and trusting God isn't one of our culture's primary priorities, but I have the freedom to make it one of mine. I just do. I also know that filling my days with doing as much as is possible without building time into my life to simply stop keeps me from thinking about a whole lot of other important things. My mind is, I don't know about you guys, but my mind is often a jumble of details and names and situations and responsibilities and worries. And if I were to honestly take a day of Sabbath, it would give me the gift of time to think about other important things. Other important things like the fact that God has always been involved in the details of my life. He just is. I'm just not paying enough attention. And if I make time to think about the way that God is working in my life, if I were to make that kind of time to think about it, my bet is that I would end up thanking God for his goodness. I just bet I would. You know, I just had a, I was recently had a conversation with a very wise older pastor who told me that he believes the prayer that God loves the most is pure thanksgiving. I've been thinking about that. And I'm inclined to agree with him. That Sabbath can be a gift because it can lead to prayer that will warm the heart of God. Think about that. And finally, the Sabbath is a gift, at least to me, because it can be a time that shows me that God is loving me and that he's with me, he's looking out for me. All those things that I just seem to ignore in the hustle and bustle of the rest of the week. And you know what? In the end, what it tells me is that I can put my trust in him 
I can put my trust in him. Now I know that we don't have manna falling on the ground six days a week. But we do gather in other ways from the hand of God as he cares for us. My experience over the long haul is this, that God is trustworthy. And taking one day a week to rest in and focus on God's faithfulness seems like an appropriate thing to do. You know, Barry is gonna talk a great deal more about the practical aspects of this in the next two weeks, but in the meantime, we can see from this story that God intended for us to weave Sabbath rest into all that we do because it can mean that our lives are coming closer and closer to being able to fully trust him in every possible way and in every possible moment. We may not be finding manna outside on the ground each morning, but we still have great reasons to get up each morning and do the work that God has called us to do. And, and I'm not, just, you know, my mind is just like, right now as I'm saying, can I go off script a minute? Can I, can I do that? Do you, you have a, can you give me a minute to go off script? I'm not seeing many people say, yeah. It's just somebody say, yeah, Tim, it's okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go off script for a minute. I just was thinking, you know, I bet you're all thinking it's really easy for old Tim to stand up there as a pastor and say that he has something worthy to get up to do in the morning because it's gonna do God's work, you know. So he's a pastor. Of course he's doing God's work, you know. But, as, but I just wanna say this, as many of you know, I wasn't always a pastor doing God's work. For more than two decades, I worked in the landscape industry. Can I just say that the landscape industry isn't held in too terribly high esteem as sacred work. It just isn't. But I came to the conclusion a long time ago, guys, that I was just as much a pastor when I was a landscaper as I am today. I had workers to care for, I had clients to care for, I had suppliers, the way I interacted with them, the way that I spoke to them and treated them in all kinds of ways it was sacred work because I was representing Jesus in every moment of it. I know that during that time, God provided for my family through that work and it gave me an opportunity to be about healing broken places in lives that I would have never met had I just been a pastor all those years. You know, what those decades um, taught me was that it all work, anything that's honorable is sacred and it's life-giving. All honest work is a calling that is worthy of rising up morning by morning and doing in the name of Jesus. It just is. And when we also take God's Sabbath seriously in the midst of this honorable work. It opens up time that will help us to see that God is continually present with us and he is looking out for us and he does deeply love us and seeing all of this faithfulness from the hand of God makes it possible for us to trust him and that is what he wants from us. He wants us to trust him. And when we truly trust God, it makes it possible for us to rest. 
Trusting God takes the load off our shoulders and we can do what? Rest. Both in the, both in all that's going on around us now, but also we can rest in the hope of the anticipation for the final rest that God has promised will be ours for eternity. Think about that. And I just can't think of anything that is more of a gift to us than that. I just can't. You pray with me. Father, we are so thankful that you're trustworthy, that you are God who is faithful. We're thankful that you are a God who loves us as individuals and wants us to take time to rest from our daily busyness and focus on your love and care for us. I pray that we'll be a people who see what you desire for us through this Sabbath rest as something that's important and that we'll figure out ways, Lord, to honor you in this and that we will be a community that shows the world that what you have for everyone is that through Jesus we can have a life that is filled with peace and meaning and rest. Thank you for all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.